Good morning, everybody. God bless you and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this beautiful day, and I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me another opportunity to speak, that the Lord continues to put a burden on my heart for, you know, just reaching out, you know, to to people all over the world and the people that I live around with the name and with the the story of the account of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. I'm so thankful uh, for, for all that God has done for me, and I'm so thankful to be able to stand up here in front of you guys in our beautiful home in McKinney, Texas. We're praying for God to bring us some, some more people, and we're praying for God to bring us a, a new building. But, you know, praise be to God, I'm thankful to be up here preaching the Word of God, and I'm so thankful that God has given me this opportunity to speak in front of all of you guys today and gals. I want to thank everyone for coming and being in my home, and I also want to thank everybody for coming from SoundCloud, wherever you're coming from, all over the world, um, iTunes or podcasts or wherever you're coming from. Welcome, welcome. You, you guys and gals are just like my family here in the house, whoever is listening to me and, and, and uh, just feeding off of what I have to say in the Lord. And so I'm just so thankful to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you today, and I'm so thankful that I've labored so long this week, and God was able to give me some revelation and some awesome words on on this week's message. So praise be to God. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'm just going to pray for the service and pray for everybody that'll listen and pray for myself and just try to get ready and everything I have to say and the Lord's given me to say. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for all those faithful listeners on SoundCloud and all over the world, Lord God, from everywhere everybody's coming from, Lord. I just thank you, Lord God, for all them and my family that's in my home, Lord. And I'm just so thankful that you have given me the opportunity to stand in front of everybody and preach your word, Lord God, because there's, Lord, there's really not much else I really want to be a part of nowadays anymore. I just love to be with you. I love to speak your word and I love to to tell others about you, Lord, and I just want to proclaim the truth to the whole world, Lord God, and I just thank you, dear God, that you've given me this, this stage, this, this pulpit to do that in front of, Lord God, every single week, Lord. I, I'm just so thankful, Lord. I just pray that you'd bless all my listeners, Lord God, wherever they are, bless my family, and, and bless our home, Lord, and bless this church, Lord, and I just pray for you to just make us what you want to make us, Lord God, and do with us what you want to do with us, Lord. I'm so thankful. Lord, unto you that you give me this opportunity to do this, Lord. I just praise you and thank you, Lord. Protect our minds. Protect our hearts from the devil and all of his distractions that he would love to bring at us today. I just pray, Lord God, that we, I would just, you'd give me the power and the ability to bring this message with your power that you gave me all week long that I have studied for it, Lord. I'm just so thankful, Lord God, that you. And Lord, I know that you just want us to have faith and keep trusting in you. So praise you, dear God, and thank you, dear God. I ask that you prepare our hearts to hear the truth today. Lord, we love you and we praise you, dear God. And I just pray that we would be like the Bereans. As I say this, as I speak this message today, Lord God, we would be like the Bereans and going forth and what I say and checking these things out in according to your word too and just believing whatever the truth is to believe. Lord, I love you and praise you and thank you, dear God. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today, verses 5 through 12. And the title of our message today is Beware of the Leaven. Beware of the Leaven. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12, and then we'll study them. So if you guys want to join me, Matthew 5, or 16, 5 through 12. The Bible says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaving of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Notice that's where I got my title from today. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up. How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine, or you could say teachings, or beliefs of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, 
We left off, if you remember correctly, in our last two weeks with the end of verse 4 of Matthew chapter 16, where, where we read, And he left them and departed. So we're going to leave Matthew 16, 1 through 4, and say goodbye. So say goodbye. Bye, Matthew 16, 1 through 4. And I'm sure you're not so sad that we're moving on. But praise be to God, we have to move on because God wants us to move on. It's time to be done with Matthew 16, chapter, or verses 1 through 4. So now we're moving on to a, a new section of Scripture, Matthew 16, 5 through 12. So today we opened up with our first verse, Matthew 16, 5. I'll read it one more time and then I'll discuss it. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So, we'll talk about this issue of bread in a moment, but nevertheless, it's a good thing to point out here that last week, Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 16, 1 through 4, we were, Jesus and his disciples were in the region of Magdala, Israel. And they departed to the, from the other side, which most likely, most likely brings them back to the Decapolis region, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, how Jesus got away and he went up into a mountain in the Decapolis region and he taught his disciples on a mountain. And then multitudes came to him and he fed them and, and then he healed many among them. So last week they were in Magdala, Israel. This week I believe them again to be in the Decapolis region. So that's our scene for today. We find Jesus and his disciples back on foreign soil. Okay, so that if you're wondering where we are, that's where he is. It says they cross over to the other side. So what would be the other side of Magdala, Israel? Would be most likely the Decapolis region. Seems like Jesus had had enough of the hard-hearted religious leaders again and wanted time to get away and teach his disciples a very valuable lesson about what they taught. Now, as an aside from that, I love the way Jesus teaches. I just love it. I believe Jesus was the teacher of all teachers. Amen? Nobody was, in my opinion, is today, or ever will be as good of a teacher as Christ Jesus was and still is now today. And why do I say that? Well, God is still teaching all of his children today and even teaching people that aren't his, trying to bring them to him because the Bible tells us that God still speaks to mankind by his Holy Spirit. So God is and Jesus Christ are, are still, in my opinion, the best teachers that were ever were, are, or ever will be, ever, in my opinion. And, I, and, I, and if, you're, you know, if you're really a true child of God, I wouldn't believe that you'd have an argument with me on that. One of the reasons I say this is because... This, is, this has got to be the main reason. He taught people simply. He didn't make things very complicated. Remember, he was always using agri uh, agricultural parables to help his agricultural listeners get the spiritual pictures of his points. You know, he used things like seeds and, you know, and leaven and things like that. And these are all, you know, ideas that people that you know, aren't city folk that they would understand. You know, the sower went out to sow the seed and so on and so forth. So he used those kinds of, you know, points and agricultural pictures to help his listeners understand the spiritual picture of his points. Well, today we actually see another awesome, amazing tool that Jesus Christ uses to teach his disciples. And what is it? What's that amazing tool that I speak of? Read verse 6. So keep in mind, Verse 5, they had come from, uh, you know, from Israel, back at the Decapolis region, they crossed the other side, but then they had taken no bread. So Jesus, taking note of this, that they had taken no bread, in verse 6 says to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven, or leaven, however you want to say it, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what did he just do? He just used the situation that they had, that he had noticed, them not taking bread, and he used the situation of them leaving the bread back in Israel to bring up his new point about the teachings or the leaven or leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A good teacher will look for moments for open doors, open doors where he could teach his students, moments where he sees something that's around him and he sees it. And what does he do? He uses that situation, he uses that circumstance to teach his students a very valuable point, a very important point. Now, that's what Jesus does here. 
he uses this very valuable moment of seeing that they took no bread, and he used that, and he tra- you know, leaven is, is what makes bread grow, and we'll talk on that in a little bit, you know, as we, as we keep going, but leaven is associated with bread. So he sees them, they took no bread, and so he uses the topic of leaven, you know, to bring their minds to the teachings of the, you know, Sadducees and Pharisees. So he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, sadly, even though he taught people simply, as he did here, using the word leaven, which would associate their you know, minds with the bread, and he used the situation and everything, but he's still talking about the teachings of the you know, Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadly, even though he taught people simply, didn't mean they always got what he was trying to say. They should have, but they didn't. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, well, and they say, their response to his statement to them, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. So what happens here? They completely miss the concept he's trying to teach them and think he's talking to them about bread. Now, how could they do this? How could they possibly do this? Why would they do this? I mean, clearly he says, uh, verse 6, he says, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So how, how, could, he, how could they just make this, this silly error? Well, look to verse 6. He says, notice this. I know I just read it, but notice this again. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's number one. And also, Look at the beginning of verse 12, or 7 and 12, how they took it. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have taken no bread. Notice they used the word bread there. In the beginning of verse 12, we read, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, what they did was, they only heard the word leaven, and they associated it with bread. Basically, I believe here that they were just sleeping. They weren't paying attention to what he said. They just basically heard the word leaving and they associated it with the word bread. They didn't. They were just kind of off and they were doing their own thing and they were walking along with Jesus. Jesus saw a great moment to teach them and they just basically, whoo, they just, it was in one ear and out the other. They heard the word leaven, thought of bread. They felt guilty. They didn't take any bread. They just basically weren't paying attention. I, I think another reason why Jesus was a great teacher was because they, you know, Jesus Jesus, as well as I, as well as all teachers in the whole world, have a tough job. They are responsible for making sure their students understand, even when they aren't paying attention like the disciples were here. Students, us, all students, any of us that are learners, students need to be more attentive. And the same goes for us to this very day. We, if we're a student... If we're a student in a classroom, if we're a student in a college, if we're a student somewhere, we have to be more attentive to what our teachers are saying. A lot of times we daydream, and that could have been the disciples were daydreaming, and they just didn't hear him clearly. They just kind of were just daydreaming, and they were just walking along, not really paying attention to what he was saying. Even today, if you consider yourself to be a child of God, really, you're a pupil of God. Really, you're a student of Jesus Christ because the word Christian means follower of Christ or little Christ. Well, you know, God spoke from the holy mountain when Jesus, when Jesus and Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah come and Peter stands up and says, Oh, Jesus, would you, would you like us to uh, you know, build three tabernacles for you and Moses and Elijah because you, know, you, know, you guys are all together now, you know, foolish Peter. God speaks from heaven and says, Oh, oh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So really, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you are a student of God. Because if we're supposed to hear Jesus, we're supposed to be focusing and, atten- you know, and paying attention to his teachings for our lives. So we, as, as Christians or children of God, need to be able to you know, be more observant, train ourselves more to be listening to what God and Christ both have to say. That goes for us today, too. We can't just pick on the disciples, and I can't just pick on the disciples. we got to pick on ourselves, too, because we're all human, too, just like they were. We're all flawed, just like they were. So, back to our situation here. So, they completely missed the point that Christ was making to them, even though it was very, very, very plain. 
So how did Jesus respond to it? Was Jesus very happy about it? Let's read verses 8 through 10 and let's see Jesus' response to what they said. Verse 8. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? So what does he do? He rebukes them because of their lack of faith. In a nutshell, I kind of wrote out a little thing. In a nutshell, he tells them this. I'll just word it in my own way, and that maybe help us understand exactly what he says in just a little simpler way, or, you know, I was trying to simplify, dumb it down a little bit, you know. You faithless bunch, even if I was talking to you about bread, you just saw me make food twice from literally nothing. I fed the first time, I fed 15 to 25,000 people. And how many, how many baskets did I collect? Did you guys collect after I was done. And the second time, I, I fed 12 to 16,000 people. And how many baskets full did I collect then? Do you actually think I'm concerned, even though you didn't bring bread? Do you actually think I'm concerned about the fact that you didn't bring bread? Are you kidding me? Basically, they had just watched him feed, you know, whatever it was, for almost 40,000 people or over 45,000 or over, yeah, over 25, 35, 40, over 40,000 people. And yet they still were doubting that, you know, they were concerned because they didn't take bread. They were, oh my goodness. Well, we, we forgot to take bread. Oh, he's mad about it. They, they really just weren't listening. They were there. They saw him do these miracles. He brings it back to their mind. Listen, guys, you saw me do these miracles. How could you think I could possibly be talking to you about bread? So he closes his rebuke with verse 11. Let's read it over. Where he says, How is it that you don't understand that I do not speak to you, that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? What does he do? Well, now that he has their full attention, he repeats his warning to them again about being aware, being, you know, warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That was his whole point, simple point. Now that they are paying attention instead of asleep at the wheel, they finally get it. Look to verse 12. Verse 12. Then they understand that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. They weren't paying attention but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, they realized that he was not talking about the leaven of bread, notice, but of the doctrine, or you could say teachings or beliefs of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the disciples finally get Jesus' point as he uses the situation to teach them. And why did he tell them to beware of the teachings or beliefs of the religious leaders? That is really what, you know, the core of what God wanted me to really speak on this morning. If you notice, I kind of went through those 12 verses in, you know, under 20 minutes, which is very unusual for me, because normally my messages are, you know, I could spend, you know, 20 minutes on one verse, or really, and I've, I've spent a whole hour on one verse. So, so that's really the brunt of where God wanted me to spend our time is, you know, why did he tell them to beware of the teachings or doctrines or beliefs or of the religious leaders? Why? Well, mostly all that they taught concerning the basics of the law, concerning these religious leaders, that would, would be what a Pharisee or a Sadducee is. As a religious leader of their day, they taught Judaism. They, they taught aspects of Judaism. They had different camps of belief as they were Pharisees and Sadducees. They had different, you know, Kind of like, you know, Christians today will have the Baptist faith and we have the, you know, the Methodist faith and we, you know, we have other faiths, you know, and, and there's quite a few Christian faiths out there. They had the same thing back for Judaism, okay? Well, mostly they taught, you know, correctly concerning the basics of God's law, you know, and a holy life that God expected them to live and, and you know, was good and was righteous. So even though Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven, which would be their doctrines, of how they interpret God's word here, they still taught, you know, semi-accurately on several points of God's word. And if you remember correctly, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 1 through 3, he says to them, he says to his disciples, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That means that they're the ones that are the leaders of their religion, the leaders of Judaism. Therefore, 
Whatever they tell you to observe, well, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So he was addressing their, not their lack of their correctness of their teaching as far as some of the, you know, the laws and how God wants them to live a holy life and the laws that God laid down. But he was really cracking down on the Pharisees and Sadducees because they, although they taught the people, you know, the religious ways to live life, they really missed the boat because they really lived like hypocrites. They, they really weren't living what they taught. And I love that old saying I, I heard some time ago. It goes like this. It goes, it's easier to preach a hundred sermons than to live just one. And I would agree with that. It's absolutely hard to live out even one sermon, but I can preach. I've almost preached a hundred sermons now over my almost two years of preaching. So anyway, he tells them that their basics of the religion are right on. Holy life, laws toward God, keeping God's commandments, keeping God's laws, they're right on. But just don't do what they say. But unfortunately, here we see him warn his disciples. Well, now, did he, did he talk against himself? Did he say one thing but really mean another? No, absolutely. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, you know, he said, beware of their leaven, of their doctrines, of their beliefs of God's word. He didn't say beware of what they teach you as far as the law is concerned. Just beware of what they kind of, you know, their, their beliefs on it, their doctrines on it. So here's just a couple places that they really missed the mark on. Because unfortunately, they were really coming up short in the teachings of the beliefs of what the word of God really meant as a whole. So number one, here's a real place that they really missed the mark. They said in Matthew 15, 3, Jesus says to them as a rebuke to them, that they kept the traditions of men and not of God. So they really taught, and they also taught, you know, the commandments of God and the word of God, but they really taught human traditions and commandments, you know, of men over God's laws. And you can go to Matthew 15, 3 and look that up for yourself. So they really missed the mark on that because we can't follow men's traditions or men's teachings. We have to follow God's laws and God's teachings. And another place that they really missed the mark on their teaching of the Bible, of their holy Tanakh, of their Bible, was uh, in Matthew 12, 24, where, you know, Jesus comes on the scene, he, he casts a demon out of a man, I believe the man was blind and mute and deaf, and he casts the demon out and the man can see, well, they come along and they start condemning him because they said that he casts out demons by Beelzebub, by the ruler of the demons, which would be Satan. So that's, they were saying that Christ was teaching according to, you know, or doing his works according to the devil. He was doing his amazing works according to the devil. So they're teaching about the Christ, about Jesus, the one that was there, the one that was living among them, the one that was showing himself to them, the one that was proving himself the Christ to them, as we've talked about the last two weeks that we studied the, the scriptures and gospel saving church and they were really off they they refused they they believed that jesus was the christ they believed that he was the messiah but they absolutely refused to you know let the people give their authority over to christ so that he could be the head of you know the, the you know the the jewish church at the time the synagogue you know the jews as the leader and they really wanted to hold that on, hold on to that for themselves so they really missed the mark in those two points you know, the sad thing is, in these others, in these areas, and as well as others, these guys believed really anti-Bible. Their doctrines, their beliefs, they taught and they believed anti-Bible. You know, keeping the traditions of men and not keeping you know, over the traditions of God, that's completely against God's word. And of course, you know, teaching that Jesus wasn't the Christ or, or denying it even though they believed it, that's completely anti-Bible. But the really sad thing is, and we have to be careful of this today, the really sad thing is, is that every single one of them had the same holy Hebrew Bible. They called it a Tanakh. It's the same as our Christian Old Testament now. Uh, there's very little variation except for ours is English, and they, of course, studied Hebrew. So everybody had the same Tanakh or Hebrew Bible. So it wasn't their holy book that was their problem and their false doctrine, their false teaching. The problems lied in their beliefs and their teachings about it or on it, or you could say their interpretations of it, and that they were really adding to it and really taking away from it. And that's why he says to his disciples, again, going back to our 
chapter 16, verse 5, he tells them, beware of the leaven or leaving of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, he told them to beware of how they're interpreting the Bible, how they were interpreting the word of God. What is leaven? I, I alluded to it earlier. Well, leaven is something that you add to dough to make it rise. The teachings or belief about the Bible are like leaven. They can be like leaven. They, these guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees, were putting their own spin into their teachings of their Bible, and it wasn't the message that God wanted to give people. They put dangerous leaven or leaven into the meaning of God's Word and were misleading people. The Pharisees, you could call them more like lawyer-like people. They were very legalistic. They were very into the law. They were very, and, and, and from the Pharisees came a lot of the teachings about you know, the extremities of the Sabbath. They were always going after him because he, he was breaking the Sabbath. Even though you know, he was doing things that weren't breaking the Sabbath law, they really had over-dramatized the Sabbath. And really the Sabbath, as Jesus said, was meant for man, not man for the Sabbath. So really, they really put too, many, too much burden on the people on the Sabbath and they really over-dramatized the Sabbath. The Sadducees, uh, they were another sect, and the, their biggest kind of thing was that they didn't believe in any resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in any resurrection. They didn't believe the Bible's spin, or the Bible's teaching, I should say, God's word on resurrection. So they didn't believe that part of it, and so therefore they were really adding to, you know, Pharisees you could say were adding to, and the Sadducees were really taking away from God's word. So they really were putting dangerous leave, leaven or leaven into the meaning of God's word and were really misleading the people. Again, this is a very dangerous thing to do in God's eyes. Sadly, today, and this is really another thrust that God wanted me to, you know, to pull out of today's text, out of today's sermon, out of our, our, our lives today. Sadly, today, people who claim to be godly, religious leaders in our world today, are doing the same things as these religious leaders of Jesus' day. They absolutely are. We have modern day in Christianity, we have modern day what you'd call Pharisees and Sadducees. These are, you know, men that consider themselves to be holy men of God, and yet they add to and take out of God's Word and put different spins on the Word of God that God's Word really speaks against, and so it's really anti-Bible. So what are some of the false teachings, or, or you could say false leaven, that people have put into the Holy Bible or put into their teachings of the Christian faith nowadays? I'm going to name off about three or four, and then you know we'll go to the Bible, so I'm going to give you their spin, you could say they're either adding to or they're taking away or they're spin and twisting scripture to make what, you know, their points. And then we'll go to the Bible and we'll just read plain text and see what the Bible has to say about their beliefs. So number one, we're going to, uh, the name of this movement of this so-called Christian faith, but it's really not a Christian faith at all, is number one would be oneness Pentecostalism. They also call it the Jesus only movement or oneness theology. This belief about Christianity teaches that there is only one God, but denies the triunity of God. In other words, oneness theology does not recognize the distinct persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It has various forms. They talk about various forms. Some see Jesus Christ as the one God who sometimes manifests himself as the Father or the Holy Spirit. The core doctrine of oneness Pentecostalism, or the Jesus-only movement, is that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Spirit. There is one God who reveals himself in different modes. It's also called, another word for this theology would, is uh, modalism. That's another word that we have for it today, modalism. So we have this oneness Pentecostalism. They believe, in essence, I'll break down what I read to you. I just quoted something I, I, I copied about, their, about this faith, that Jesus Christ is the only God. They don't believe in God the Father. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't believe it. It's all Jesus Christ. So if anytime you see God the Father in the Bible, that's Jesus. Anytime you see God Almighty in the Bible, that's Jesus. 
Anytime that, you know, the Bible talks about the Spirit or the Spirit's doing something, that's Jesus. And then when Jesus lived on the face of the planet, that's, that's Jesus too. And at different times and in different forms, Jesus revealed himself, but only as sometimes he'd reveal himself as the Father, and sometimes he'd reveal himself as Jesus, and sometimes he'd reveal himself as the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what they believe. That's their spin on it. What you could say is they took away from the Scriptures the truth of God's Word. How, how can we say that? Well, all they would have had to do is simply read ver, uh, Mark 1, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. You could follow along with me. I'll describe it here in a little bit. So John the Baptist has been called by God. He goes out there. He starts baptizing people. And so as he's baptizing people, here comes Jesus. And here's verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now listen to this modalism. If that is really a true doctrine, if really it is true that Jesus Christ only reveals himself at different times and different forms, then what do you do with verses 10 and 11 of Mark chapter 1 here? Where the Bible you know, powerfully declares, and immediately, so we have Jesus coming to John to be baptized you know, in the Jordan. That's verse 9. Verse 10. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Now, so now in verse 9, we have Jesus Christ in the flesh, in John's arms, being baptized by John in the Jordan. In verse 10, we also have Jesus, because it says that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, descending upon him like a dove. So we have the Spirit coming like either in the form of a dove or coming like a dove and resting on Jesus. So now we have two of the Godhead standing in the same picture in the same time in the same area in the, on one another, in fact. The Holy Spirit's on Jesus, and they're separate. John noticed the difference. Mark and John noticed the difference between Jesus, who was being baptized, and the Spirit that was coming out of heaven. Then in verse 11, we have the Father. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, he's talking to Jesus. Well, who who is only a father can have a son, or, or of course a mom can have a son too, but we know that God's a father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God the Father here says to Jesus, who's being baptized in Jordan, there's Holy Spirit sitting on him, that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we, we have in the same time frame, with God speaking from heaven, Jesus in the water, coming out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon Jesus Christ. So we have the Godhead, the three, God in one, God in three, all in one picture at the same time, all before men's eyes and ears. He's all one. If whoever created, I didn't bother to get the creator of this Pentecostal oneness or Jesus only movement, I, I, bad planning on my part. Sorry about that. You could easily look it up. If they had just read all of the scripture, they would have known that Jesus Christ couldn't be God the Father because how could Jesus be projecting? Was Jesus deceiving people and projecting his voice into heaven so that God the Father would speak down on him so that it would make it look like there was a God the Father and that he was the Son? Who was Jesus talking about when he said, my Father is greater than I? Me and the Father are one. Yeah, he, he, he referenced him and the Father, but they are one. But obviously they weren't together right there. So Jesus was separate. God, he speaks of, you know, and, and uh, he's there. I mean, he, he's, he's one with him, but of course he's not there. If they just would have read verses like John, the Gospel of John, 1-1, one, one, in John, the, the disciple John's personal testimony in his Gospel and his epistle, he writes in John 1-1, one, one, in the beginning was the Word. So we know Jesus Christ from the context of the scripture was the Word. And the Word was with God. Okay, so we've got Jesus was being the Word. He, he says Jesus Christ. We have the Word was with God. So they were together, but they weren't some, somehow one so that, you know, they were, they were indistinct. You know, they were indistinct. They were, Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God. And then the Word was God. So we have the triunity, the trinity of God right there in John 1, 1. And we also have in the disciple John's first epistle, 1 John 5, 6, and 7. And I'll read you the context. Seven's where we really want to go, but we need 6 and 7 for our context. 
So we read, this is he who came by water and blood. We know that Jesus Christ came through the womb of a woman. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and by blood. He was flesh and blood. He born of the womb of a woman. That's referencing Jesus. And it is the Spirit who bears witness. That's two. Because the Spirit is truth. So now Jesus was one. He came by water and water and blood. Now we have the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. That's two. Now, verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is Jesus Christ from John 1, 1, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So notice there's three distinct persons of God, but yet they're all one in, you could say, essence, but they're three distinct personages. So we have to be careful of Pentecostal oneness or the Jesus only movement because there is Jesus Christ, there's God the Father, and then there's God's Holy Spirit. But they're one, but they're three. So modalism or Jesus only movement cannot be true. This is dangerous leaven that was put into the Bible to really take away the Bible's teaching on there being a God the Father. Wow. How does it happen? Amazing. Next one. I'll move on to the next one. You know, there's no irony here. You know, of course, with God, there, there's no irony. He, he, of course, made things happen. Just last week, we talked about the terrible leaven that had gotten into the church about salvation. Because there is, you know, we talked about it last week. Remember, uh, people believe that they're saved because they're a good person or that they can pray a prayer and they can get saved or, or all I have to do is believe in Jesus and, you know, th that I'm saved. And well, all these, I declare them, and I believe the Bible does too, to be leaven. They are absolutely not true. The Bible does not speak of these things. They, these things are, are completely leaven, added, adding to and taking out of the Word of God. Not true teachings according to the Bible and according to Jesus' own words. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, this is where we find the core of salvation. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life, you could say eternal life, will lose it. They'll lose this life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus gives us the core. Salvation is God's free gift, grace. And our decision to put all of our trust in that and in what he did for us and surrender to him as our Lord in response to what he did for us. Look at for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Total surrender unto God. God, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus Christ, save me. I need you. Please save me. I need you. But it's not a simple prayer. It's a, it's a, it's a step of repentance where it's a heart condition where you, you decide to just sell out to God. God, here I am. I need you. There's no such thing as one prayer of salvation because if you really seek after God and you cry after God, you're going to become, he's going to inhabit you and then your whole life is going to be about him. It's not just one simple prayer that did it. It was a, a, a conscious choice that you made in your heart of hearts. I decide to follow Jesus. The cross before me and the world behind me. That's what I want. That's not just a prayer. That's not just I believe in Jesus. And that's, uh, you know, that's just not I'm a good person. That's a total sellout. I want to be married. We talked about that in our last couple weeks. And I talk about that often in Gospel Saving Church. Being saved is not any simple prayer or good person or I believe in Jesus. Those are all leaven. Those are all dangerous leaven that the devil has thrown into the church to deceive man into thinking that they're really saved when they're really not. Sad. Third one. We got a couple more. Third one. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Catholic Church teaches works by salvation, works for salvation. Catholics believe that you have to work to get saved, you have to do good works to be saved, and that you also have to do good works in order to maintain your salvation. Yes, that's right. How do I know this? Well, I know this by church history. The Catholics held what was called the Council of Trent from 1545 to 1563, right around 20 years there. In them they wrote down many of their religious beliefs. This would have been under Pope John Paul III. 
Okay, we still have those writings today. The Catholic Church still holds them true as their doctrine still to this day. We have the, the, these, these, what they believe to be the truth about the Bible still today. It's what the Catholic Church runs on today. And in them there are many, but I'm just going to read off for you two here of the anti-Bible things that the Catholics believe in Canon 12 and Canon 24. And I'll read them to you just as they're written in their own your beliefs. And they go on to, and to say this. They say, if anyone says, now who's anyone? Anyone. If anyone says that justifying faith, that would be the saving faith. That, that would, remember I told you that salvation is not a prayer or a belief or I'm a good person, but it's a really justifying faith. It's a, it's a decision that you make with your heart to lay your life down to God and totally trust in Him forever. So if anyone says that that justifying faith, which is really salvation, is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy. Okay? What that means is, is I'm deciding to put all my hope, all my everything into God's mercy, God's salvation, Jesus Christ. So if, any, so if anyone says that that justifying faith, that, sal, that saving faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy. So that's my trust, my all I'll trust in God, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that it is the confidence alone that justifies us. Let him be anathema, which means let him be accursed. Yet, I'll, I'll get to the biblical responses, but if that's tweaking you a little bit, it did me. They're saying that it's not only that, that total surrender and belief in Christ, that total trust in God that gets you saved. That's what they're saying. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough just to trust in God. We're going to get there in a second, though. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the biblical response. I'm just going to read Canon 24. That was, they believe that you need to be, you need to, that's not enough just to have this saving faith, this justifying faith, this faith of salvation. They said, it's not enough. And if anybody believes that, let him be accursed. So Canon 24, let's get to, now we're going to see that they not only believe that you need works to be saved, but you also need to work to keep your salvation. Canon 24, if anyone says that the justice, or you could say righteousness, received, so this would be the, the righteousness that God gives you once you get saved, if anyone says that this justice or this righteousness received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of the increase, let that one be anathema. Let that one be accursed. They just said that if you're saved, you need to keep your salvation through works. It's not enough just to be saved if you are saved, but now if I'm saved, I need to work for that salvation. I need to keep working these really good hard works because if I stop, wow, I won't be saved anymore. Wow, what leaven. Wow, what dangerous leaven. Yet the biblical response, we have Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, is for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. For it's by grace, God's free gift, exactly what I said earlier. By grace, God's free gift that you have been saved through your faith, your saving faith. I'm totally surrendering to God. Here's my faith. I'm putting all my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm, I, 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 Jesus, I need you. It's saving faith. It's, not, it's a gift of God. It's not even of yourself. You can't work says in verse 9, at least anyone should boast. So there's no such thing. There's no works in being saved at all. There's no good, righteous works that you can do to be saved, and there's no good or righteous works that you could do to continue in your salvation. God commands us to continue to surrender and trust in Him. It's not having to do with any works at all. And again in Romans 4, 1 through 4, listen to what the Bible says upon keeping or even getting your salvation by works. It says about Abraham, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. 
if we do any good works or we're thinking our good works are giving us a merit before God or, or a, you know, a good standing before God or those works that we just did made us saved before God, we're wrong. We're wrong. It says in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, or you could say, put his total faith in God, and then it was accounted to him for righteousness. Anytime you see the word believe or believed in the, in the Holy New Testament in the Bible, that's not just a mental belief. That's a total, um, it's a faith belief. I'm, I'm putting all my faith in God. I'm not just believing in this one little simple thing. I'm, I'm putting all my faith in God, and I'm trusting in God. So Abraham he, what does the scripture say, verse 3, that Abraham believed or put his, all his total trust in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, righteousness which leads unto salvation. It is not by works that we can be saved, yet the Catholic Church believes that you have to work to get saved and they also believe that you have to do good works to continue to be saved. This is leaven, dangerous leaven of our world today of people that say that they're godly today and religious leaders of today's so-called Christian church that believe these false things about God's word. We have just one more, but it's going to be in two. I'm going to talk about what the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses view of Jesus Christ is. They also, by the way, reject the Trinity of the Bible. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is Satan's spiritual brother, while Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ was created by God, just as another God. They both reject the Trinity. Unbelievable. How can you get in the Word of God when Jesus Christ calls God his Father, and yet Satan is looked at in a completely different light in God's Word? He was a created angel. He was a created being by God that said, I want to be God, and then therefore God kicked him out of heaven. There's no Ever, never, never one reference in the Holy Scriptures that talks about Satan being God's son or being the brother of Jesus Christ. And we don't have one verse taken in context where we can believe or even see at all how Jehovah Witnesses could believe that Jesus Christ is a created being of God. He was God's son. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. Read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the Trinity. The Word, there was the Word. It was separate. It was in the beginning, and the Word was with God. So it was the Word, Jesus Christ, was in the beginning, and God was also in the beginning. Where is there any creation of Jesus? And then it says, and the Word was God. <coughs> Excuse me, not a God. Not one of the gods out there, not, well, one of the multitudes of gods like the Hindus believe, but the word was God. And I want to reiterate it again. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. We absolutely have no scriptural. The Bible would completely have to contradict itself, which it does not, to believe that Jesus Christ is a created being of God or that he's Satan's brother. This is leaven, Christians out there. This is leaven, people. Go to your word and find out in your word. The Bible says that I'm not just making this up. Go to any translation. I don't care if you got the NIV or the NKJV or the King James Version or the ASV or the, the Young's Literal. It doesn't matter. Go to your Bibles. It's right there. These people believe anti-Bible and they're taking out and they're putting in and they're putting twists on God's word. And believe it or not, these are only just a few examples of the apostate false beliefs of the so-called Christian leaders out there today. These are just a few. There are many more. There are other denominations out there that believe that baptism in water can get people to heaven. That baptism in water can get people saved. That's, again, a works doctrine. If we can do anything to earn our salvation, then we, we have nothing. We have something to boast about before God. We're, we're saved by grace through faith and not of works, least any man should boast. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. I could go on and on and on today, but I will not for time purposes. I will not go on and on and on and on. God wanted me to spend the majority of the time on, on what the false teachings were and some of the things to be aware of the leaven of today. And that's what I did. Now, these issues can get pretty confusing sometimes. And to some people, and they have to me before in the past, these, these issues can be very confusing.
But what I want, but what I want you to know today, what God also put on my heart is how you can know the truth and not be confused about God's word at all, because that's really God's heart. Remember Second Peter three nine. Remember Second Peter, for God is not slack concerning His promises, but but is long suffering toward us, not that, not willing that any should be lost, but that all should be saved. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, okay? So I want you to know how you cannot be confused about these topics in the Bible. How can we know what to believe today and not be confused when it comes to the teachings of the Holy Bible? Well, there's two, there's two techniques that you can use to study your Bible. One I highly encourage, it's the only way, and the other one is what these other people were doing and how you come up with these false doctrines and these leaven that they come into. And I'm going to discuss them today for a few minutes, and then you can know what you can do or you know what not to do. One, the, the way that you should study your Bible is called exegesis. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E and now you may have heard the term, it's, it's not exegesis like Jesus Christ, it's exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E -E what is this way to study the Bible? It's a way that men deemed appropriate to study the Bible, and it's the true way to study the Bible. The definition of it is a critical explanation or interpretation of a text or a portion of a text, especially of the Bible. Let me describe it to you. What you do is you go to your Bible and you open it up and you just start reading it and you believe what it says. Pretty simple. It, whatever it says, if it says this or if it says that Jesus Christ is God, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. You, you just go to the text of your Bible and you just open it up or you just listen to it and you just believe wholeheartedly exactly what it tells you and you don't take anything, put anything into it and you don't take anything out of it. Whatever it says to you is it says to you and that's what you believe. That means you believe a literal interpretation of God's word. Whatever God says to you, that's what you believe. According to context, that's what you believe. That's exegesis. And if you study your Bible in this way, you will never be led astray. Think of that. If you study your Bible this way, you will never be led astray. Exegesis. Now, here's where the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses and Oneness Pentecostalism, here's what they did, which was the anti-Bible way to read your Bible. It's called eisegesis. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E 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 Again, E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. S-E-I-S-E-G-E-S. And here's the definition of that one. An interpretation, especially of Scripture, that expresses the interpreter's own ideas or their own biases or, or the like, rather than the meaning of the text. So let me describe this one to you. I have this idea, uh, I don't think Jesus Christ is God's son. Mm, boom, I'm going to read, no, everywhere it says that he's his son, oh, that, that can't be. No, nope, he's not his son there. No, that just, I'm reading that wrong. Oh, no, Jesus Christ is God. No, no, you know, oh, Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. I'm bringing that in, and I'm reading that into the scripture. Notice I'm adding to or taking away from the scripture, I'm putting in my leaven or I'm twisting the scripture to make it how I want to make it, okay? I'm putting my own interpretation into the scripture and I'm just basically making the Bible say whatever I want the Bible to say instead of taking a critical examination of the scriptures. This is dangerous. This is absolutely dangerous to do. And this is where we get all these false teachings about God's word that just simply are not true. Eisegesis. So if you want to be pleasing in God's sight, then you go be like a Berean. I think I prayed that in the beginning of our message today. Make us like Bereans. Let us go into the Bible and study the Bible and be like Bereans who went and checked it all out versus ones that go in there and decide what they're going to believe and they go in there with that belief and then they believe it just no matter what the Bible says. This is what I'm going to believe. Here you go. It's bringing your own interpretation in. Don't study the Bible that way. If you do... Certain almost death and certain almost hell, okay? Certain almost death and hell. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. So in closing, in closing, in closing, Christians, God's heart is that you beware the leaven that is in our world today by people that are so-called religious leaders of our day. My closing exhortation today is to, to anyone that cares about their eternity, 
to anyone that truly cares about what God truly has to say in his word and wants to know all that God really wants from them is this. Be careful what you hear from others that claim to be Christian religious leaders. There is a lot of deception in the church today. There's a lot of deception in a lot of the denominations that the devil has sown into the church today. And, and really, he's been sowing it for a very long time throughout church history. Through who? Through people that do not have the Spirit of God living within them. And they just care about their own pleasures and they just care about their own beliefs and pushing off their own ideas into the church. And this is, this is how the devil's gotten, just like he got into Jesus' camp. You know, if you think about it, Jesus Christ walked with 12 disciples, yet one of them, the Bible declares, was a devil. Yet, we think today, oh, Satan can't come in our churches. Oh, absolutely he can. Because Jesus Christ held church with his disciples every single day for three and a half years. And the devil, Judas, was right there in there with them. Right there in the mix of things. Right there. Well, now we have many devils from the pulpit. Now we have many devils that have created religions. Many devils that have created false Christian ways. Or they call themselves Christian ways. And they're devils just like Judas was. And they're bringing leaven into the teaching of the word of God. Which doesn't belong there. We just need to read the Bible and do what the Bible says. And believe what the Bible says wholly and plainly. Not anything added and not anything taken away. So Christian or anyone that cares about their eternity. And what God really has to say to them in his word. Study the word of God and exegete it or use exegesis as your method of study of the Bible. Read it and believe it and believe what it says without adding to or without taking away. Or you can just say in a, more, in a less complicated way, because I think God's word puts many things in less complicated ways. We could say, use the fancy word exegesis, or we could just say what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. I'll close with these things and I'll pray. Paul exhorts Timothy, just like I'm exhorting you today. 2 Peter 2.15, New King James Version. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What did he say? Be diligent, press hard, press hard to scriptures, and be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker? You mean a worker? Has to, yeah, I'm a worker. Christians, we're workers. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. Don't just believe anything people tell you and don't put your own interpretations. Rightly divide the word of truth. Or and sometimes I love the way the King James says it. 2 Timothy 2.15, King James Version. The Bible says, study, thy, study to shew thyselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study your, yourself to be approved unto God. Study the word of God. Believe what the word of God has to tell you. Don't believe false doctrines. Don't just believe whatever you think of the scripture. Believe it because the Bible says it. And the Bible says its things. God says his things in his word plainly. But you have to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Praise be to God. Study your Bibles, Christians. Be warned of the wolves in sheep's clothing that are filling the Christian churches nowadays through people that are teaching from the pulpit and people that are in the congregations that are teaching their poison. Just beware. And study your Bible and believe what your Bible says wholeheartedly and, and simply whatever God's Word says. Just believe it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this message today. Lord God, thank you so much, Lord God, for your truth. Thank you so much, dear God, for your wisdom, for your holiness, Lord, for your, your simplicity, Lord God. You're, you're the most complex being that anybody or anything's ever known. Yet, Lord, you want to make things simple so that we understand them. Thank you so much, dear God. Thank you so much that you have made your, your, your ways and your, your teachings just so simple so that we, because you want us to know you. You want us to come to you. You want us to be saved. If you made things complicated, Lord, how could anybody get saved? We would all be so confused. We, we couldn't get saved. 
Yeah, you make things so simple, and yet people just try to complicate them and put the leaven in there, Lord, and put the evils in there, Lord God, and take things in and, or take things out and put things into your word, Lord God. We just, that is not right. Lord, help us all to be like the Bereans, Lord. Help us all to go to our Bibles and read them and just have a critical understanding of the text that we're reading without bringing in our own interpretations, without bringing in our own beliefs, without bringing in our own ideas. God, help us. Please help us to know the truth and help us to study the ourselves approved unto you, Lord God, so that we don't have to be ashamed rightly dividing your word of truth. Lord, please. And I pray, dear God, unfortunately, I, there's so many evil people that are teaching from the pulpit nowadays, so many evil people that call themselves Christians but are teaching your word falsely. I pray for them to get saved. And I pray, dear God, for anybody in the audience that's been stuck in false theology and false doctrine their whole lives, Lord God, and I've rattled their cage today, Lord God. I pray that they would study thy, th themselves to be approved unto you. And you, Lord, go to the word of God and look at what I just said. Lord, look at your word plainly. And then let you be the judge who's right, their doctrine or your word. Lead them to the truth, Lord God. Lead me to the truth always, Lord. I love you. We love you. We praise you and we thank you, dear God. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty and holy and precious name. Amen.